people are returning to their places of worship. But will they recognize it when they get there? I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Loris Spitalniak. And each week, we talk to the journalists here at WTOP about the DMV's return to normal as we emerge from this pandemic. Religious groups are getting more legal leeway when it comes to coming together. And to many, the community that faith offers was invaluable during the pandemic. Kyle Cooper is an anchor and reporter here at WTOP, but he's also a youth pastor at Fairfax Church. This week, we talked to him about how his church coped during the pandemic and what broader trends he's seen in our area. So Kyle, really excited to look at this topic of how local religious groups face these challenges that the pandemic brought on. Chief among them, people were not allowed to gather, and that's really at the core of most religious groups. There is a day of the week where people come together and they worship. So how did local religious groups face these challenges when you couldn't gather? Did people go all virtual? We've seen that in the sports and entertainment world. What did local religious groups do? In our particular case at our church, we were already showing our service online. It was an option that you could have if you wanted to. When the pandemic hit, we went completely online. Now, that's, of course, the adult church. I work with the students. We did not have an online presence, so we had to immediately (laughs) switch and go online that second week of March, I think. And we didn't know how to do it, so we thought, well, where are all our students? They're all on Instagram. So we were able to basically do a TV show, produce it, and shoot it out through Instagram. You know, it was a service online, and we did that for five months. Wow. How much manpower does something like that take? Because if I understand correctly, your congregations on the larger side, I don't think everyone could do that. And also, you're technologically savvy. You could beat the TikTok teens at anything. (laughs) Yeah. Our church is bigger. It's about 2,500 people. So it was already online with a different kind of service, and they did their own thing. But we had to scramble. It was just me. (laughs) Not just you. Just little old me. Um, (laughs) Just me and one other person in the church making it happen. I got to tell you, though, I'll be honest. I pulled my hair out every Sunday night because getting it all to work was Mm. just hit or miss sometimes. So we had nights when we were in the middle of the broadcast and it would die and we had to restart or we couldn't get it going in the first place. So I ended up creating all these fake Instagram accounts, basically, to test it before we went live on our main platform just to make sure it was going to work that night. Mm. And it was crazy. But it worked because that's where our students were. They were on Instagram and they were used to seeing us there. Not only did we do that every Sunday night, we were thinking, how do we not lose all of our kids in the student ministry and the adult church? How do we make sure people know that we love them, care about them, want to know what's going on with them? We got on Instagram Live every day for six months from March until July, and we just went on for like a half an hour. And some days we would do like a Bible study where kids could jump in. And other days we would just talk or they would just respond in the messenger part of it. And we did that every day. At the end, I was like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) I can't be online every single day anymore. We've got to stop doing this. And You're not trying to be an influencer? Yeah. Luckily, that was about the time that we were able to start meeting again. Right. And how was that response to that daily Instagram presence and those Sunday broadcasts? It was actually great. We have a lot of kids who are really connected to us. And so they did not want to lose that connection either, we found out. When you think about how many kids we had showing up in person, okay, once we went online, the numbers even got bigger. Oh, wow. I was surprised by that. 
we didn't lose anybody by going online only for all that time. And then during the week when we were on, it was smaller because kids were not necessarily as available. But what happened was we had a loyal following. The same kids would show up every day. And we developed a pretty close relationship with that 30 or so kids. Um, mm -hmm. And that was pretty neat because it just forged some deeper relationships. And I'm sure there's plenty of stuff to talk about. Yeah. You know, at first we started talking about all the things that you might want to talk about when there's a global pandemic that no one's ever gone through. And where is God in that? Right. And talking through those issues, thinking about those things, talking about hope, coping, loneliness. We spent quite a bit of time talking through all those things. And then after a while, you know, it felt like we I don't know if you want to say we exhausted those topics, but people were ready for us to just start talking about other things that we normally would talk about. In the past and currently, churches and religion have been a way for people to deal with sorrow or loss and come together and move past that. I saw some churches setting up mutual aid funds within the DMV. How did you see congregations coming together when they couldn't come together? Yeah. People in the church were just like the rest of the population where people lost their jobs, got sick, were looking for hope. <laughs> and so we made a big pivot. We had a food bank. We ramped that up in a big, big way. And then, of course, there was a lot of Zoom or a lot of phone calls where people just needed to talk where we couldn't meet in person. And I think that if you looked across the spectrum of churches in the DMV, you would have seen almost all of them that could ramp up those kinds of things. Now, some went out of business. A church going out oh, of business? many churches. What does that even look like? Once they couldn't meet anymore and people weren't giving anymore, you know, our church is completely 100% sustained by donations. We have no other source of income. I mean, almost every church in America is sustained by donations unless they are, maybe they have a daycare or something where they bring in money, but we don't do that and most churches don't. Wow. So imagine you're in a global pandemic that no one's seen before and millions of Americans are out of work. You know, our church did not suffer from that unbelievably, <laughs> but I know of churches in the metro area, they just couldn't sustain hiring people or having anybody on staff or paying for their building or whatever it was and literally mm. closed. This wasn't because of the pandemic, but we actually have absorbed two churches. I was going to ask about that. Like, where do you go if your church goes out of business? Like I say, this wasn't necessarily pandemic related, but Fair. you do still see this. They said, hey, we don't have the wherewithal to stay in business, so we're going to close unless you just want us. Mm. We'll give you the building. We'll give you the assets that we have left and you run us. And wow. so we've actually done that on two churches. Actually, we're in Virginia, but those churches are in Maryland. And so we have these two sister congregations that we partner with. But that's happening a lot in the United States where churches are closing down and the pandemic did not help that one bit. I mean, it accelerated that. I mean, to think that you're going through a time of so much uncertainty, if religion is part of where you reach for certainty, I would imagine that's very unsettling. Yeah. Hopefully we are looking towards the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you foresee any more mergers, for lack of a better term, due to the pandemic? I think churches are right now in this really interesting stage. Okay, so our church, for example, we reopened almost a year ago, last July. So we started outside 
and then moved to what the legal limits were for in Virginia. So we had about 25% capacity. For us, that's about 150 people. Our capacity has gone up. You know, Virginia is allowing more. So a lot of churches are in that spot right now where they're wondering, are our people coming back? Our situation is right now, if you want to come back, there's room for you. Not everybody's come back. We had five or 600 little kids that come to the church every weekend. That sounds like a swarm, Kyle. Yeah, now we have 30, <laughs> 40, 50, 60. Parents with kids have been the last to come back. Hmm. All the teenagers came back immediately. Because they have that kind of agency where they could? I think, yeah, I mean, the teenagers, they're dying for connection, right? And yeah. so they want to be there. Parents are just more cautious. They're like, I don't want to take my kid indoors yet. I'm not ready. There's no vaccine even for kids still. And trying to get a toddler to wear a mask for any amount of time. You no, know, it's impossible. And so we have kids in the building, but it's, you know, a fraction of what it was. You say you're in a position where if anyone who wants to come back can. We've seen challenges to the limits. I'm thinking primarily in D.C., where D.C. actually had to settle a lawsuit with the Archdiocese of Washington over the attendance caps. Have you seen either with your sister congregations or anywhere locally that have been pushing back against the attendance limits or maybe think that they could be doing more if only they were allowed to? Yes, this is very interesting to me. I think it sounds like it's just a process question where you can just make a choice and do something, but we chose a philosophy early on. Some chose this philosophy, some didn't. Our philosophy was, what is the loving thing to do, not the legal thing to do? In a global pandemic where my breath going into your lungs can kill you, (laughs) the loving thing is to shut down and not argue with the government that we should be separate or special because we're the church. That's ridiculous, in my opinion. The loving thing to do is to not put people in jeopardy. We've tried to follow that every step of the way and do what the government says we can do. We didn't always go even to those high limits, you know? Yes, there are plenty of churches who have tried to make the opposite point and say, well, we're the church and we're special and worshiping the Lord in the building together is our sacred right and the government has no jurisdiction over that. Mm. And I look at that and go, I think you might have a bit of a pride issue going on there. If your uh, God-given right to meet exceeds what's safe. Mm. Wow. Vaccines are rolling out at a solid pace. Do you think people will come back? Do you think it'll be kind of church to church, temple to temple, you know, dependent? Or do you think there'll be some broad trend? It's a fascinating question. He's good at those. I think the church will never be the same after this. There's no way that it can be. Good people that love the church and were there every Sunday have gotten used to this idea of worshiping at home, (laughs) turning on the TV brewing some coffee, watching the service, hanging out, and not having to leave. And they're expecting that we'll still be there. And we're going to do that. Many churches will do that. I think there's things you miss when you're just at home. And so I think that, yes, over time, people will generally come back into the community of the church and in the doors and in the congregations at similar-ish numbers But there will be differences. I think it's on par with what's being talked about at the workplace. A lot of people are going, 
I just worked a year and a half outside the building. It was more productive. Why in the world would I come in there? Mm. And I get that. And we just have to roll with that. You know, we can put up a wall and say, well, we're the church. We're not doing that. But that's just stupid. You got to reach people where they're at. So it sounds like these changes brought on by the pandemic are really here to stay. Oh, they're here to stay. I think any church that thinks they're going to go back to what they were before and forget all this, that will relegate them into a category they don't want to be in. You have to embrace the changes in the psyche of people through this. Even the church has to. So no, I think there are permanent changes that are coming from this. No doubt about it. In other religious news, people of different faiths came together last month to organize a vaccination clinic at the Alt Dulles Area Muslim Society in Sterling, Virginia, the largest mosque in our region. The center continues to offer its space for vaccination appointments. And we are just over halfway through the month of Ramadan. Islamic scholars and medical professionals agree that getting a coronavirus vaccine does not invalidate a practitioner's fast. The National Muslim Task Force on COVID-19 released a statement advising that devotional acts, such as weekly and daily prayers, can be temporarily halted to avoid life-threatening, widespread dangers, such as pandemics. And this past year, Jehovah's Witnesses, known for their door-to-door evangelizing, have pivoted to delivering Bible messages in the form of letters and phone calls. Thank you again to Kyle Cooper for joining us. This podcast was produced by me, Luke Garrett. And me, Laura Svitalniak. The tune for this episode was made by Locksbeat. Join us next Monday as the world reopens.